Welcome to Blood and Spirit, the podcast for Black families evolving. I'm your host, and Jamie Lay Ali, and today my guest is Dr. T. Marshall Jones. Dr. Jones is a musician in several genres, as well as a composer and conductor who has changed the musical landscape in Albany, Georgia. Beginning in the early 1960s, Dr. Jones transformed the music and fine arts department at Albany State College, which is now Albany State University. He removed barriers to black participation in the local symphony and made deep inroads into the local and state councils for the arts. It is my pleasure and honor to welcome this multifaceted musical and organizational genius to Blood and Spirit. Thank you, Miss Ali, and good morning to you. Good morning, and thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your super, super busy schedule to come and do this. But you, you have been doing so much for so long, and you still are doing so much. It amazes me how you get that done in a day. I need to, you, you know what? I need for you to do a class on just how to get the most out of 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's the drive that I've had since I was a little boy and uh, music became a part of my life. And so that's just how it is with me. That's one of those things I wanna ask you about that, how, do, how that infatuation with music started. But first, let's get into this thing that I always like to ask my guests, which is, and you've already answered it for me, what is your favorite non-alcoholic drink? Lemonade. Lemonade. And yes. so that's, that's, that, I mean, I can go far with that just on my own imagination, but tell us the story of how that happened. How did lemonade become your favorite drink? I think when we were growing up uh, in the country, uh, it was a rarity for most of us to have a glass of lemonade. It was uh -huh. like you had water, you had maybe a soft drink, but not lemonade because uh -huh. that was kind of a specialty. And uh, so I became infatuated with the taste of lemonade it and from that tasty. time until now I've just it's been one of my favorite drinks. That is so wonderful. And so you talked about your in the country. Where was that country where you grew up? A place called Gordonsville, Virginia. That's where I was born. And uh, we grew up in Barbersville, living with my father's mother, my grandmother, and we would transfer from place to place where my mother's uh, father lived to Gordonsville, to Barbersville. And so that was uh, the background of our growing up days. Okay. How, wh where did you come in the sibling list? I was the first. The first. So okay. I paved the way. All right. <laughs> All right. And still doing it. I mean, yeah. just have not stopped paving the way ever since. Um, let me ask you about that, that, that story of your uh, infatuation with music. When did that happen? Oh, yes. I clearly remember when I was five years old, I was living with my grandmother. We say up on the mountain in Robertsville. Nice. I had a blind uncle who taught me how to play guitar. Mm -hmm. And this was a place where the fellows of the community would gather because it was like a meeting place for them to come and tell tall stories and, uh, you know, the, the tall fish stories that they would mm -hmm. tell. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, my uh, uncle taught me how to play guitar. And so I kept thinking at it and thinking at it. And finally, I learned to play a few chords and I would listen to the radio and so some of those chords would fit some of the tunes that I heard. And I would try to sing those little tunes as I played the guitar. Mm -hmm. Well, my uncle who lived in New York found out that I had learned to play guitar. And he told my mother, who well, this is my mother's brother. He said, I'm gonna send Marshall uh, a Christmas present. And so that Christmas, sure enough, 
here comes this big package in the mail. Wow. And it was this guitar that was maybe a little bit larger than I was able right, to handle. Right. But what a joy. What a and joy. And that started me on my way to my musical career. That kind of shows you the, the impact that, that somebody who sees that talent or hears about that talent mm -hmm. even, he didn't even get a chance to hear it, I'm sure, because I don't know how, you know, we weren't doing uh, video conferencing in those days, that's right. for sure. So you weren't yeah. on YouTube. No. He didn't see, he didn't <laughs> see you playing on YouTube, but he knew from his sister that uh, her son and his nephew knew how to play the guitar and yes. he wanted to nourish that talent. Yes. And, and that, that made a difference. Well, one of the interesting things about after I learned how to play well and uh, enough to sing a few tunes, after church, my mother would take me from Bobblesville to Gordonsville, which was her home. And there was a lady whose name was Miss Hattie. Mm -hmm. She had a cafe there on the corner. So we would go into Miss Hattie's cafe and I would sit and I would start playing my guitar. Thank well, you. Miss Hattie said, well, put a cup there on the table. And so the people who came in were so amazed mm -hmm. that they would put nickels and dimes and quarters in the little cup. Wow. And so I would play my little repertoire. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that, you know, she would say that, Marshall, this is your collection. You take this and save it. That's so oh, what nurturing. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. Yes, it was just uh, the, the, the home folks uh, right. having confidence and pushing you right. because they saw that talent. And How big were these communities? Oh, gracious, it's probably big as this little area here. <laughs> <In Albany. laughs> no, it was, my mother always said that we had 11 Light City. And then there was a sign that said, you're now entering Gordonsville. And on the back of the sign, it says, you're now leaving. <laughs> like we used to say about Ty Ty Georgia yes, back in the yes. day. That used to be our, our joke. And so when did, now, how old were you when this first started? This was about five years old when I started five to play the guitar. Old. That's so five, six, seven years old, et cetera. That is fantastic. And so you went on I went on that? to learn how to play piano in elementary school. Mm -hmm. My uh, elementary teacher was my piano teacher. And so Mrs. Wills would take me on Wednesdays at 12 o'clock, which was mm -hmm. the lunch period. And all the kids were in the back of the building just knocking the cover off the ball. <laughs> and here I am with my thumbs and first finger learning right. how to play from the old Presser piano collection. Yes, and so that was my uh, entry into learning how to play piano. Well, I got to the third book. And by the time I finished elementary school at that time, we went from first grade to seventh grade. And then eight, nine, 10, and 11 was high school. Okay. And so from that point, when I went to high school, I could no longer play piano or take piano lessons, except in the summers. Mm -hmm. But then my band director was a lady, and I said, I want to learn how to play in the band. So we went through this little litany of, uh, well, now, what you want to play? I said, I want to play saxophone. She said, I have enough saxophones. I said, well, what about trumpet? I have enough trumpets. She suggested, why don't you play clarinet? I said, oh, no, that's a girl's instrument. <laughs> so then she said, well, go down to the band room and tell Phillips to teach you the positions on the trombone. So I did, and Phillips taught me the positions, and that started my career in playing in the band. Mm -hmm. So um, therefore, all four years, I had three different teachers, uh, Mrs. Uh, we called her Mrs. Porter was my first band director. And then she left. And then there was another gentleman from Hampton University, a very tra highly trained, not only in band and choir, but he was 
a dancer and we had never seen a gentleman dance before, yes, but sir. he did a full tie and tails dance concert, wow. which was a entry into or exposure to another aspect of, of the arts. That and sounds so then, like a whole uh, really progressive community. It was a progressive school because in that day and time, we could not go to the local high school. My high school was seven miles from me, and uh, we had to be bused uh, 50 miles a day to George Washington Carver Regional High School. Whoa. Now, this school was built for four counties, Orange, Culpeper, Rappahannock, and uh, uh, Madison County. Mm -hmm. So all of us who were near other high schools, we were bus to the high school. And it was built specifically because we could not attend those schools. Absolutely. And so we had some dedicated teachers in the arts, in every aspect, every uh, grade or every class that you could think of. I think of my English teacher mm -hmm. who taught me enough English that I was able to manipulate my way when I went to Virginia State to college mm -hmm. to pass the Junior English Review my first time. Awesome. Because they taught us how to write and punctuate as we went along. Yes, sir. And it was a King's English, I'm sure. Yes, it was. You know, that that's such, you know, one of the things that we, that we missed, one of the the flip sides of integration, losing that tight community yes. that we had oh, um, yeah. back in those days. And it sounds like um, it was a whole village. It, it was, was a whole that village. village. Yes, it was. So those were the kinds of experiences that we had as we grew up in a very segregated society. And you came up and you came to Albany and uh, you, you finished at Virginia State. Yes, finished at Virginia State, instrumental music. I went straight to graduate school to the University of Michigan, mm -hmm. and uh, I was gonna go to the University of Virginia, but they would not allow me to attend the University of Virginia. So the state of Virginia paid for me to go to the University of uh, Michigan, my out-of-state tuition. As a compensation. As a compensation for that. Who knew? Who knew? There's so much history. Who knew? Well, and the other thing I said after looking back, I said it was a blessing in disguise because the University of Michigan had one of the five top schools of music in the country. Fantastic, wow. And so who were your instructors there and how did they inspire you and so forth? At Virginia State, it was the band director and chairman of the department who was a graduate of Oberlin Conservatory, Northwestern University, and Columbia University in New York. So he had gone to three of the top schools in the country. Okay. My private teacher, on trombone was Dr. Bridge, who had gotten all three of his degrees from the University of Michigan. So he inspired me and my line brother and Alpha <laughs> to go to the University of Michigan, helped us with the preparation of our applications. Mm -hmm. And that's how we went straight to graduate school to the University of Michigan. And so when we got there, taking our exams to qualify, many of those persons there knew Dr. Bridge and his great prowess as a student mm -hmm. uh, and so we had been trained to know what to look out for and what to prepare for so we went through our pre uh, uh, auditions and all of that uh with no little or no trouble at all that's fantastic this is, oh you were a student of tom bridge so wow. my conducting just, teacher my uh, trombone teacher they all knew him red carpet yes red carpet treatment that's that is fantastic and you know you you mentioned a few things that i wanted to uh, to talk to you about and um 
that that situation with the with the teacher and and all of that um all of that nurturing that you got sounds so much like something that you took on later on in your life and there's a quote that i wanted to pull up just now and i, I pulled it up uh it was in the asu aspire in spring 2011 oh. and you said the arts and music enhance the quality of life for man humankind right Music education promotes self-discipline and causes young people to learn how to work together. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about what you think about that. Well, it's almost like uh, the military. Uh, for instance, if we take the band, if you're in the band, you're playing with a unit and you have to be disciplined to do what is called for as you practice. Practice makes perfect. Some people say, well, there's nothing really perfect. You really work to be the best that you can be. And so I have a quote in a program that we did. It says, I have never reached perfection, but I've tried. Yes, and so I try every day to reach perfection. Mm -hmm. And so that part of it was a part of what taught us to work together, to play together, to think like one. Mm -hmm. For instance, if we were rehearsing an ensemble part, our teacher would say, now, listen to what the other person is doing. And then don't try to overshadow that, but become one in what you do. And I remember at Michigan, uh, there was a composition that the Michigan band played, and they had 10 clarinets on the stage in Hill Auditorium. Mm -hmm. Those 10 clarinet players sounded like one wow. on that melodic line Incredible. that they were given That's to phenomenal. be showcased with the symphonic band. Well, I just have to bear witness right now because it's just rising up in me to say that the music the music that you produced has given me some of the best days of my life Thank and you. particularly um the the one that i remember from fly blackbird back remember that oh, production yes. fly so, blackbird back in the early Curtis williams and i did that oh my goodness <laughs> we and, no i go said we teamed up to do uh the plays he wrote the plays and he had me to come and do the music and so we became a working unit yes, uh, like that Yes, but go ahead. And so, so it, it played uh, one night. I think I was in. Um, I don't think I had gone off to college quite yet. I was in Upward Bound. Okay. And uh, we had the opportunity to to be on campus mm -hmm. and and be exposed to that. And um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what what year that actually was. But at any rate, the play was fantastic. It was about a young woman going off to college. Is that correct? I think so, yes. Um, I'd almost forgotten about Natchitoches, that. Natchitoches, Louisiana yes. is where she was going to. But your band played live as that uh, production was, was going on stage. And it was absolutely, that was perfection, I must say. <laughs> well, well, we thank you for that. Uh, it was a wonderful time in uh, my life. I think I had come back from Oklahoma after having studied and gotten my doctorate degree in music. And so Curtis and I hooked up, and we did about four or five play productions uh, together. Yes, sir. And Fly Blackbird, yeah, oh, that was, yes, that was a fantastic, because we took that production on the road, oh, and we went that. to uh, Florida State. Mm -hmm. We played up at, uh, I think, Georgia Southwestern. Mm -hmm. and then we also took it to um, Savannah for fantastic. some kind of a play festival mm -hmm. that they had there. Fantastic. And it was well received every place that we went. I know it had to be. It was it was just so, so alive. So alive. And that and that speaks to um not only your 
activity at Albany State, but you made some changes um, in the music department at Albany State. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, having gone to graduate school and, and realizing what our undergraduate students would need to make their way through graduate school, we uh, installed programs that would put emphasis on how they would have to function when they went to graduate school. And so we had, um, uh, uh, I think it was a committee called, uh, if I can recall it, anyway, the name escapes me. But anyway, that, that committee uh, uh, charged us to make sure that our curriculum measured up Mm -hmm. to those kinds of standards that NASM, that's the National Association of Schools of Music. And that's the crediting body for every school and department of music in the United States. Okay. My major professor at Oklahoma was the executive director of that wow. NASM uh, organization. Wow. And so when we would attend uh, conferences, uh, we would uh, be in conversation with curriculum studies and so that gave us a chance to come back and share that with our colleagues, with our students. And many times they would say, why do we have to take this? Why do we have to take that? We said, because we know that this is what you will need to negotiate that path that you will take if you decide to do graduate work. And so we did make some uh, changes there that benefited our students in the long run. Absolutely. That's and and you you brought that to Albany as well. Yes. And you did. Um, you 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 brought the music department into the fine arts department. How did that go? Well, in nineteen, we were a music department up until nineteen and eighty five, and then uh, we had a meeting with the president, and uh, it was decided based on some studies from the board of regents that we would need to combine some of our areas. And so the Department of Fine Arts was created in 1985. And I was called in by the president and I was told that I would be the <laughs> first chairman of the Department of Fine Arts. Awesome. So that, mean, that meant that I would have to expand my base of what I was responsible for. Mm -hmm. And so we had, for instance, I was chairman of music and I remember Dr. Williams was chairman of the speech and theater department. Uh, the late Dr. Uh, Berry, uh, Barry was chairman of the art department, mm -hmm. which he did so much to build and bring it to prominence. And so we would have meetings between the three of us, mm -hmm. and then now the partners would come together. And uh, so that's how that emerged. And from that time until this very day, we have been a Department of Fine Arts. That's that's fantastic. And also, you brought the music department uh, as a, as an individual unit into um, into the current uh, state of the art. Yes. Because at first, um, you only had a few students, right? And then you went students. and began to recruit yes. students in the local high schools oh, and so yes, forth? Oh, yes, yes. Well, this happened for me when I first came to Albany State, which was emphasis on building the band because that was my responsibility. Uh, the first year, we had uh, very few students. I think we had 32 in the band. Mm -hmm. And I said to the registrar, I said, the coaches go out and recruit. I want to get on the recruitment committee so I can go out and recruit. So she said, okay, she put me on the committee, set up appointments for me to go to all of these cities across the state of Georgia, wow. and also arranged for me to stay in houses with people who would host me. The next day I would go and speak to those students, and the only thing I could offer them was that they could be a part of something growing that was going to be something big mm -hmm. in the future. Right. And I offered them that if you come to Albany State, 
I will treat you the same way I treat my sons. Wow. So you'll be a part of my family. That's and that fantastic. was my mantra. Mm -hmm. I treated every student that I recruited as if they were in my own family. That's fantastic. And, you know, and I know that that, that sense of, you know, that energy that you're able to transmit help in so many other areas because you made, as I said, you know, at the top, you made these inroads into, into the symphony, into the arts councils in the mm -hmm. city and oh, the yes. state. And, and you, you acted as an ambassador that made so many changes uh, in this area. So is that, was that some of the same uh, conscious um, energy that you brought to it? Like, you know, you're going to be my son. What did you take into those meetings with, uh, with, white uh, people who were heading these organizations that you were um, looking to become a part of, what kind of energy, what kind of thought did you bring to those meetings? Well, uh, I was a member of the GMEA, which is the Georgia Mutual Educators Association. And my first couple of years, I concentrated on building the band. And then later saying that, well, okay, this is your professional organization for the state, you need to be a member. And so I joined, paid my dues then, and have paid them ever since. Mm -hmm. But as we went to these various meetings every year, which happened in January, uh, we went to Jekyll Island, we went to Columbus, uh, we went to uh, Savannah, and now we are in Athens. But uh, back in those days, uh, it was kind of a segregated concept mm -hmm. about us and them. Right. And so one of the first things that we did, and I did this with Dr. Alfred Wyatt, who was from Clark Atlanta University, uh, and uh, he was a graduate and also was a band director there. Uh, we decided to organize a multicultural awareness group. Mm. And so through that, I wrote to every music company in this country wow. and asked them to send me materials that they may have possessed that dealt with black music, Latin music, et cetera, music of Africa. And so we began to create an exhibit of black music. Fantastic. Now, the very first time, they would not allow us to exhibit on the main floor where all the other exhibitors were. Mm -hmm. They gave us a little place off in a little corner somewhere. Mm -hmm. And this was in what organization? This was GMEA, okay. Georgia but Music at Edu the, But at, at the, the convention, okay. at the conference. And so we started that. And uh, I did this display for about 10 or 12 years because we were told that they were not aware of any music by black composers. So that was my mantra to make sure that we presented that. And so when we went to the meetings of GMEA, we had to make these kinds of presentations. And so later on, we were given a spot on the floor. And so I always managed the black music exhibit every year at the GMEA conference in January. So we uh, introduced them to music of black composers, mm -hmm. Latin composers, African music, awesome. et cetera, et cetera. Awesome. And later on, as in locally, the symphony, uh, our local people said, well, we don't know of any music by black composers. And so we brought music by black composers, which was performed by the symphony orchestra, of which I played in at one time, yes, and sir. I became the first black president of the uh, Albany Symphony Association. Incredible. And, and Incredible. So that was the pathway that we took to put the music out there 
by black composers so that people would know that it was worthy of being performed. That was a, a very, very ambassadorial approach, you know, an educational approach. Right. And a non-judgmental approach. Yes. Okay, you don't know? Okay, here it is. Well, think about this. When you hear the music, does it move you? Is it written in, written in such a fashion that it does something to your senses, your emotions? Now, if I had to ask you, who wrote that piece of music? Could you tell me whether it came from the pen of a black person, a white person, a Latino person, whatever the nationality may have been? No, with the exception that I would give you that this piece was written by uh, De La Joya. Right. Or this piece was written by- right. The name. The name. Right. Yes. Only the name. Only the name. And so we were able to do that. And uh, finally, we saw pieces being performed by black composers on state programs by organizations. That's fantastic. Yes. So you, you've impacted uh, not just the, the landscape in Albany, but throughout the state. Throughout the state. And in, in, in extension from that throughout, well, certainly throughout the South, the national, for sure. Uh, level, Nationally. Because one of my teachers from Michigan who taught at Georgia State, who uh, was very interested in what we were doing with our Multicultural Awareness Committee, said, uh, I want you to appear on a program that I'm going to be chairing. That's how I got on the national scene. Okay. That happened in uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Okay. And so I made a presentation based on her inviting me to appear on her, uh, her program. And so I did a, 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 uh, an exhibit of African-American music, black music on the national level out in Anaheim, California mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, New Jersey one or two other places and in Atlanta. Did you have someone who was working uh, closely with you to help design these exhibits and, and do the, you know, the, uh, the legwork in terms of gathering no, the doc? No, no. I, did all I, that? Yeah, I, I, I was the person along with the Al to uh, set it up and to look at the displays. Well, when you go and you watch how the exhibitors set up their displays. Mm -hmm. You get some idea of what should come first and second and third yes. and how to tear it and all of that. Right. So uh, we, we did that as, a, as something that we just kind of learned by right. going to conferences and, and uh, being exposed. And making that desire come making forward. Making that desire come forward. And with all of that energy, all that drive, all that capacity and all that ability. Now I listened to you uh, in an interview that you did with Tom C. Dent. Um, oh, yes. Yes, he did. He's the Southern Journey, I think, is the name yes, of the book yes, that he I wrote as a, result, yes, as a result of that series of interviews. He right. was interviewing people all throughout the South, mm -hmm. uh, getting a sense of what um, what happened after the Civil Rights uh, Movement, Movement and mm -hmm. what, was, what were the next steps and what mm -hmm. were the results. Right. And uh, he spoke with you, and I, I noticed that you mentioned some things that were going to happen when you leave Albany. Okay, so at that time, it was 1991, and you were considering, you you know, so you mentioned that a couple of times. So I'm like, you know, how did we keep this uh, world-renowned, world-capable person in this town? How did you manage to stay in Albany with all that energy and all that drive and all that capacity? Well, I think if I remember correctly, I was offered a job at Virginia State College, now university, my 
undergrad school. And I, I did the interview and they said, well, they liked me and they wanted me to come and be the band director. But then my wife and I looked at the pros and cons of moving from here to there in Petersburg. And we thought about, at that time, our young son was like very young. Mm -hmm. And we thought about daycare and all of those other things and mm -hmm. some intangibles that you may not even think about. And so we came back and we talked it over and we said, well, and at that time, I think Virginia, I mean, Albany State had helped me with my study. And so I owed them one more year okay. <laughs> or else I had to pay back some money. Right, right. So we said, well, the best decision would be to stay. And then I had become so wedded to Albany State, the community, mm -hmm. and I could pick up the phone on that campus and call anybody and get a favor. Mm -hmm. And they knew that the same thing could happen. Exactly. So there was this reciprocity between the two, mm -hmm. uh, whoever the person or group may have been. So we decided to stay. And I just saw great opportunities for this school because then I was inspired by Dr. Harley, who was the founder, uh, who uh, created this great institution back to Bible Manual Training School. And I said, now if this man, during that time of segregation, in 1903, when Albany State was founded, and he was the president for 40 years. Mm, mm, mm. Amazing. Amazing. And I thought Amazing. if he could sustain himself and could get favor to do whatever it was to make this institution grow, then I feel like I should be a part of this history. And so I decided to stay, and I enjoyed it to this very day. I retired twice during my tenure yes, here, yes. once in 1996, after 33 years. Mm -hmm. And then I was asked to teach one semester, and I did because the young man that replaced me uh, was a great friend professionally and uh, personally. And I said, yes, one semester. Well, that one semester lasted 14 <laughs> more years. Oh my <laughs> so wow. that was like a total wow. of 47 years. And I enjoyed it so much. And I still enjoy my connection with the institution, and we see the results of what we tried to do way back when. Mm -hmm. And we have students who have gone out and who have made a name for themselves. They've seen the advantages of getting a good education, practicing to be the very best that they can be. And so that's the joy now that I have of witnessing uh, the fruits of our labor. Well, that's that's fantastic, and you know, and we're sitting here right next door to the um, Civil Rights Institute in yes. Albany, Georgia, and I must say that they maintain those grounds very well, and they're in the process of doing that right now. So I'm going to see if we can get some of the noise down for just one oh, moment, okay. and I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. I think that we uh, we had the same thought because he stopped just as I was closing the door. So he'll he'll start back again, but they really do maintain those grounds as well. And and you know I personally look forward to seeing uh, you uh, represented in that institute, you know, in some of the exhibits because you have really really made a difference uh, in our city and showed us how we can take the principles of uh, do for self as well as the principles of nonviolent interaction and, and connecting with other communities oh, yes, yes. and make, uh, make huge differences um, in our lives and in the lives of our children. Well, I think your statement is very true, and I'm a great believer that you can make a change one person at a time. 
because I've had the experiences of doing that when I was in the military back in 57 to 59. Mm -hmm. Went in in Columbia, South Carolina at Fort Jackson, and I was in the Army with uh, a great number of Southern uh, soldiers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I developed friendships on a one-on-one -on -one basis and things that I shared that I had endured based on segregation, mm -hmm. they looked at me as if to say, how did you do that? Well, you know, you have to have a heart, you have to have a mind, you have to have a spirit Absolutely. that guides you to be prayed up and to have faith, ah. even in the face of all these other adversities mm -hmm. that you face in life. Absolutely. And so uh, that was uh, a wonderful experience for me. And then as I moved from there to other areas in the in the in the world so to speak mm -hmm. uh, we were privileged when i formed a jazz quartet back in 68 oh, yes. before i went to oklahoma mm -hmm. and uh, we practiced for six months got a repertoire that represented a cross section of all genres of music mm -hmm. and then we used to play in a place down in harlem called the wagon wheel lounge Wagon Wheel Lounge. 1968-69. Wow. In Harlem, this this Harlem, we're not talking about Harlem, New York. We're no, talking we're about talking Harlem, Harlem in Albany, Albany, Georgia. Yes. yes, yes. Rutha Harris became my first singer. Okay. And she was billed as From the Albany. Freedom Singers. Yes. She was billed as Albany's First Lady of Soul. Yes. Okay. All yes. right. All right. <laughs> and on Wednesday nights at 9 to 1, the doctors, lawyers, teachers, other people would come mm -hmm. by after a day's work and just listen we do about three sets of jazz pop what have you and uh she sang See, i was those, just a little too young those aretha franklin <laughs> tunes did she oh yeah she oh, sang my them. Goodness. sometimes i think she sang them better than aretha. Uh, no <laughs> you oh, better yeah. keep that undercover undercover we we had a great time and then i went off to school and yes. when i came back um you know we were into our own thing at Mount Zion and mm -hmm. she was at another church. But then finally we reconnected when she came and joined, rejoined Mount Zion. And so I walked down the aisle when she rejoined. And That's so fantastic. she's one of my singers in my uh, my church choir now. And you yeah. say, you mentioned one church choir, but uh, as we were speaking earlier, you told me that you are actually um, organizing and heading and conducting over what, five choirs? Well, we have five choirs. Mm -hmm. I have one choir. Mm -hmm called the sanctuary choir mm -hmm. and so we each have a sunday that we sing mm -hmm. we have a sanctuary on first sunday uh on the second sunday there's the voices of zion which uh my son reverend brian jones directs okay and then on the third sunday there's a youth choir which he directs because he grew up in mount zion okay he was a member of the cherub choir and mm -hmm. the youth choir uh, the fourth sunday we have a group called the fellowship choir that's uh, age level from 18 to 40. And so that hopefully attracts a different mm -hmm. uh, person that may not find some things to their liking, but uh, hopefully they will fit into that category. Mm -hmm. Then we have the cheer choir, the little tucks. Right. And uh, then we have a male chorus, which sings the old, good old quartet type mm -hmm. things that mm -hmm. the Williams brothers sang, you mm -hmm. know, and it's still yes, popular. Sir. Yes, sir. And uh, for special occasions, we create a mass choir mm. to, uh, and for instance, like Easter, we had a mass choir to just sing and have a great- uh, From throughout the city? No, no, it's just from the church. 
from all of our choirs. From all of your we, choirs we bringing together. Bring those choirs together. Oh, fantastic. So uh, that's that's how we do, and we, we stay busy 24-7. 24-7, yes. and, and Mount Zion has been here since what? Very, 1865. 1865, the oldest church the oldest, in the city, correct? Oldest, uh, probably the oldest in the city, yeah. I think so. That, that's, that's when we were founded. Right. At an old blacksmith shop somewhere down in this area. That's so wonderful. And and the church um, was the first location of the Civil Rights Institute and the first, one of those first buildings. Right. I don't know if that's probably not the first building no. that the church was in, but the one of the older buildings uh, was the original location of the Civil Rights Institute and remains right next door right. And, and is part of the, the exhibit. Yes, uh, it's yes. It's an exhibit yes. space a, and an event space. And of course, you know, the meetings that between Shallow and Mount Zion. Of course, Dr. King came and exactly, addressed. So, exactly. Uh, that, that was the hub of, uh, and Dr. Boyd and Dr. Grant, which fittingly so, uh, we're gonna have the Boyd Grant dinner on Friday yes. night at, uh, yes. at the Civic, uh, at the Civic, Civic Center. Center. Uh, they were brave enough to let their congregations be open to have those meetings. Yes. And, uh, I guess and that's where there the, were threats, but uh, mm -hmm. they were courageous men right. of, of, of the cloth. They were, and yes. and Reverend Boyd just passed. Uh, was it one couple years ago? Couple years yeah. ago, and he had been the pastor for over seventy years. If I'm somewhere up he's uh, at least sixty some years. He yes. had been the pastor of, uh, of Shiloh. Shiloh. Yes, and so Shiloh and, and Mount Zion Mount right Zion, across yeah. the street from each other, and hosted those those. Um, uh, Albany movement yes, meetings yes. when uh, Dr. King came down. Oh yeah, had a had the uh, march, and we have those you know the those the footprints. Yes, the footprints yes. are in the sidewalk to mm -hmm. representing that those movement. You can feel the movement. Sure, you, you can, can feel the movement yes. looking at those um, those footsteps that went down to the courthouse. And it's almost like I think of the Indian tribes. And they can feel the spirit yes, sir. of their ancestors yes, sir. in a given setting. Yes, and that is exactly the reason that, that um, this podcast has the name Blood and Spirit, because our families are made of you know that physical representation yes. as well as yes. that spiritual representation. Yes. Some some families, you know, don't have any blood that they share except the human blood. Right, but they don't right. they don't share mother, father, sister, brother. Yes. But their relationships that come together and create family, just like uh, as you went out into the schools across the state. Mm -hmm explaining to those young people that they were going to be your children when they came yes, to yes. be a part of your band. And so you created a spiritual family. We did. There, yes, we did. You know, and that's what we honor when we use uh, the term blood and spirit, black families. That's involving, so appropriate. Yeah, so with appropriate. this podcast. And so tell us about the family that you left behind in, um, in Virginia, the brothers, sisters. Uh, yes, we had in my immediate family, uh, there were four of us. One brother died and, about six months old. But um, I have a sister who now lives in Los Angeles. I, my late brother, uh, Artie, who lived in D.C., mm -hmm. passed in 2000. But when I left Virginia, and went off to school at Virginia State, and uh, they were there. And then my sister followed me into college, but she went to West Virginia State, mm -hmm. uh, which was an institute West Virginia. Then she later transferred to Virginia State and graduated from there. My late brother was a tremendous athlete, mm -hmm. lettered in four sports. Wow. Had a tremendous mind. Four sports. Yes. 
baseball, football, track, and basketball. Incredible. And, uh, and then uh, he had a tremendous knack for speaking, great uh, uh, articulator of the word. Mm -hmm. And even after he had graduated from high school and uh, his, was it, I think, the New Farmers of America, whatever that group was, mm -hmm. he would ask him to come and go to the national conventions with him to be on program. Okay. Uh, he chose not to go to college, not because he was not capable of college, but right? Because right. he was offered a scholarship while he was in high school mm -hmm. to go, but he chose to do some other things in the world of work. Mm -hmm. uh, became a policeman and uh, did that for a number of years, and then uh, put his life on the line ah. five different times, and then uh, mm. he retired from that to another line of work until he, he passed. Okay. So that part of the family was left there. And then when I went off, I sort of like was on a trail. I didn't know where it was going to lead me. Mm -hmm. But when I left Virginia State and went to graduate school to Michigan, and then I went for interviews. And then there was a lady at a school that was a special education. She said, don't accept a job until you come and interview with me. And so I did, and it was a special education school, which we had to get a special education minor to teach there to uh, be certified by the state of Michigan. Okay. So I did that for three years at a place called Lapeer, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And then I began to think, now, this is repetitive work day in and day out with these kids. My students in my band, the IQ was 52 to 88. Wow. So I had to have a tremendous amount of patience yes. to drill them over and over. Yeah. So what I did today may have been lost and I had to go through the same thing tomorrow mm -hmm. or the next day. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, they function. And every month we did an assembly program with the choir director. Yes, so we worked closer together and I arranged things that were simple for them to learn and play. Mm -hmm. And so for three years, I was into that. And I said, well, if I'm ever going to be able to conduct Tchaikovsky and Beethoven and Mozart, I will probably need to move out of the setting. Yeah. And so that is what prompted me to leave that area. Mm -hmm. And I got a call saying they needed a band director at Albany State. Wow. So that's how I got to Albany, Georgia. Fantastic. And I had never known that it was in Albany, Georgia. Right. Well, right. when I graduated from Michigan, there is a section on the application that says, where will you work? And so I checked off Midwest, West Coast, East Coast, and when it said South, it had a extension that said, definitely not. I said, I would never work in the South. And uh, so I ended up in the South. And I started calling on all of my acumen to be patient and yes, stopped by a policeman here in Albany yes. on my way to Albany State. And mm. I thought, gee, hold your tongue, gentlemen, son. Don't get into trouble. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it taught me to say to those after that experience, never say what you will never do. Right, right. Because you may wind up doing just that yes. for, and I ended for up over 50 place. years. Yes, yes. <laughs> 63 until now. So whatever many years that is, yes. I tell the students, Figure that out with the new man. Right? <laughs> that's, uh, that's incredible. So now, 
does, does your family, your birth family, um, maintain your family memories, your memorabilia? Do you have all that? You know, you have a, a sense of your generations before your grandparents? Uh, I have, I have a kit mm -hmm. that says, trace your etymology yes. and your fact background. And I have kept it. I don't know why, but I am going to exercise that to find out about Is my that a genetic kit? Genetic kit mm -hmm. to find out where I came from. And you know, uh, Henry Louis Gates yes. does a tremendous program on that. Yes, he does. So that's probably one of the next projects that I'm going to engage in to find out where my, say, I can go back to my grandmother because she was a fields. And that's about as far as I can go back to. Okay. She had a brother named Robert. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, she and my granddaddy had six children. And uh, my father lived to be 100 years old wow. in six months. Wow. Spent his last five years with us mm -hmm. here in Albany. Wonderful. But uh, he went to the eighth grade. My mother went to the ninth grade. But they had a sense that they wanted more for us. And that's why they would say, my mother brought an old upright piano fifty dollars mm. when I started taking piano. Which was a lot of money at yes, that time. It was a lot of money. And I would ride on my bicycle three miles every Tuesday when Miss Wills would come down from Charlottesville mm -hmm. to number seven, which was our elementary school, and teach piano. My piano lessons were twenty five cents. Wow, which would amount to I, I oh, suppose about ten dollars at think, least. Oh, more than that. At least, yeah, at yes. Least. So that was a part of what we did, made the sacrifice. And I think it was by divine providence. It was driven it, by- It certainly seems that people Almighty were really God. taking you from, from this step to this step yes. to this step to yes. get to this yes. fantastic history that you've lived well, out. It's just, and I just think, you're not finished with me yet. No, clearly not, <laughs> clearly not. You are busy every single day and you have other projects uh, in mind. Yes. Tell us about your children. Your my children uh, and your wife. Well, I had uh, first marriage. I had three sons, and uh, so one of the yes, one of them went into music. Jeffrey, the second son, that got to go into music. Uh, he was a piano major at Albany State. He went to Virginia State and came back to Albany State, and then uh, he left and went out into the world because he was very mathematically inclined. Mm -hmm. So he does. He lives in Charlotte now. And he does uh, work with a firm that has to deal with figures, and he can do your income tax Wonderful. for you and all is of that. Is that Charlotte, Virginia, or Charlotte, Charlotte North, North Carolina? Carolina. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, my first son, which is Bass, uh, he mm. in high school joined the band, and he would uh, go out with the band director and do uh, music and and rap and all of that kind of stuff. The uh, third son, who now lives in Atlanta was a basketball player here at Albany State, number 24. Oh, number 24? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, what's, what's his name? Uh, Arnie Jones, William Arnold Jones. He was a superstar back yeah. in the day, wasn't he? Well, he played pretty well. And uh, later on, when he went to uh, Europe, he played ball in Europe for five years okay. before coming back to the States. Okay. And then uh, Mary Watson Jones, which is my wife, present wife, we have a son, Brian Marshall Jones, Reverend because he uh, studied and went to, uh, started painting when he was three years old, mm. drawing rather. Wow. And he majored in art. 
mm -hmm. at uh, uh, Georgia State University. And while he now he would not allow me to teach him music when he was growing up, okay. he was just interested in dibbling with the artwork. Mm -hmm. But somehow the bug bit him when he got to Georgia State, and he started singing in the choir, and he was the worship leader at one of the churches there, mm -hmm. which he was on the watch camp. And then he uh, started doing Bible study at the Georgia Baptist uh, Union there. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of pushed him into the music bit. So he later became director of the Georgia State Gospel Choir. Fantastic. But while he was in school, he would come back often every summer and put together a 30-piece gospel choir and do a concert. Incredible. Yes. It really bit. <laughs> yes. And then he'd go back and he'd come back. So we did two at Mount Zion and mm -hmm. one down at the... Uh, Ritz Cultural Center. Wow. Yeah. And so he just showed this mighty inclination and, and interest in music. And he developed his own technique of how to teach uh -huh. choir music. So he can walk into the choir room. They rehearse on Mondays and Thursdays. Mm -hmm. He will take a song that they've all agreed upon. And in 10 minutes, he has that choir singing with all three parts. Get harmony. Out. That is amazing. Yeah, he has a tremendous talent for that. That is amazing. And I wish I could do that. <laughs> and I'm musically trained yes. with three degrees. Mm -hmm. But with the modern technology and approaches that these young people have and, embraced. And that's the beautiful thing to awesome. see that evolution, that yes. you see that it is evolving. Oh, you know, sure. you talk about how your parents um, didn't finish high school, mm -hmm. but they instilled such, a, such drive and such love in you that that is now blossoming all over the place it is it you know is. and evolving in your children and that is fantastic yeah. so do you find that there are some particular things that you remember from what your parents actually said to you you know that they we we, we can see that they instilled a lot you know in you we can see that through your life and through your through your energy what were some of the things that they said well with you? when they saw that some of these things were being manifested in my guitar playing, piano playing, being in the band, and that meant that when we had concerts, they would come and support us for those performances. And they were always, and then the church had a tremendous role in being a part of my upbringing and my training. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was a Sunday school teacher, mm -hmm. and I used to truck to, we were walking to church because sometimes my parents were working and we didn't have a car. So I would walk with my grandmother three, four miles to church, mm -hmm. carrying her bag with the yeah. Bible and the hymn book. Right. right. And uh, so they always said to me, now you make sure you practice your lessons. And uh, I had chores to do. I started working when I was nine years old in a flower garden, okay. making my own money. Mm. And I've been working every day wow. since then. Wow. But they would encourage me to push forward. And I can remember being in school and my mother would write letters saying words of encouragement. Oh. Don't give up. And she would always sign it, uh, uh, with love, mother and daddy. Oh, okay. and I have some of those letters. Oh. But they encouraged me to go forward and do what I needed to do. There were some nights when I would walk around on Chautauqua Street in Oklahoma, mm -hmm. Norman, Oklahoma, where I live, 634. And I would look up through the trees at the stars and sometimes things would get to the point. I said, why am I here? Mm. How am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, the next day I get a letter from my mother saying, wow. press forward, 
keep your trust Whoa. and don't give up. That's, you know what? There's nothing like a letter. There is nothing like a letter. And, and email is not like a letter. No. No. Yeah, and you are, you have just put that in me. I'm just going to write some letters to my people. Yes. To my children, to my uh, enormous number of grandchildren. Uh, and, and what about you? You have grandchildren? Yes, got grandchildren, proud of them. Uh, I, for instance, uh, the, well, I was thinking about my cousin now, but, but my grandchildren, uh, 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 I'm trying to think now as I go back, Jeffrey, my son that lives in Columbia, I mean in uh, Charlotte, has a daughter and she has two children, which means that I'm a great-granddaddy. Wow. But uh, they have done well. And uh, when I go to Arnie, he has a daughter. He's the one to play basketball. He's a daughter in uh, Tampa, Florida. She's finished uh, the school there, the University of Florida. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tampa. Got a, I mean, her bachelor's, master's degree and is moving now to a job that's going to make her be gainfully employed and then i have a goddaughter who uh, has a little young granddaughter uh, kendall she is the apple of our eye <laughs> here because she loves to come and spend the weekend yeah. or the night with us oh, that's so she calls us mama granny and calls me daddy she calls her father daddy <laughs> right so i'm daddy and, and 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 my wife is granny oh, okay so she is an all-a student involved in dance mm -hmm. uh, she can do triple flips and all oh, of that my word. With, with whatever that is that they do and all right. of that gymnastics so, gymnastics that's i mean she can go on to be world famous mm -hmm. but she's now involved in those kinds of groups and they're off every week or so in to a competition competition either in florida or atlanta or someplace like that and so we do the email thing or the mm -hmm. whatever they do over the phones Mm -hmm. And uh, they will get, uh, send pictures. Right. Uh, uh, her mother sends pictures. Mm -hmm. said, Here's Kim doing so and so and so. But uh, the, uh, that's the joy of our lives now that we can look at them and Absolutely. be so proud of what Absolutely. they're doing. You know. Absolutely. With with and to and see where you know how it has come over the years, over and, those and, generations. And I thought, oh, the other young uh, granddaughter that I have lives in Columbia, South Carolina. She has just turned 13 or 14, mm -hmm. but uh, she wanted to play music. Ah. So I invested in a saxophone okay. for her. And she started taking lessons, got in the band, and she said, Granddaddy, you are not going to regret your investment oh, man. in the saxophone. What? And so they went off to somewhere in Florida the competition in one first place right. and then she came back and they went somewhere to another uh, event Incredible. and she's an all-a student that is fantastic yes. that is i mean you know, it's such a great testament you know because a lot of times we, we just don't know the beauty that is taking place around us mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. in the people you know we only see you know just just a portrait right. of an individual oh, yes. but we don't see the 3d mm -hmm. components that mm -hmm. go into oh, that person yeah. you it's know, like it's a 3d component yes, <laughs> there's so like many that. 3d components mm -hmm. and and so that's part of you know again what we want to do here is to show what um what value that we have just living right next door yes you know in our communities and and build on that 
and when and in those times when um, we're facing our challenges, mm-hmm. we can draw on the strength and the ideas and the innovations oh, yes. and the and the creativity yes. of others, yes. you know, who have gone through challenges. What have been some of the challenges that you faced in your family, Dad? And what are some of the skills that you've used um, to overcome that? Oh gracious, let me see. I don't know what I responded to on my pre-questionnaire. Um, and I guess I'd really have to stop and think because I guess as I look at my family and we have such a charmed life, it's hard to find how we have existed. Uh, I think uh, I had a situation where we had some challenges, and I think maybe all families may have gone through that with drugs, and uh, just prayed to God mm-hmm. that there would be a miracle mm-hmm. and. It did happen. Mm. And so when that happens and then you're working with other young people, which brings me to the mentoring program that we have with our fraternity. Okay. And so you can share what you have gone through, mm-hmm. how you got over it through prayer, through faith. And these are two basic things that we embrace. Mm-hmm. Stay prayed up and keep the faith. Okay. And if you do that, things will work out. Because okay. then we have been a result. We have been one of those almost miracles that came through mm-hmm. from whatever that challenge was. And so when I decided to retire, and people asked me, what was I going to do? I said, I'm going to work with our young black boys to teach them how to become a better man. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of a weekend retreat that we do every year. In fact, we just finished it a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Down to Kalamoki Mounds and Blakeland. Oh, that's a beautiful place. And it's a beautiful place. So we take them for two days, Friday afternoon and all day Saturday. And we bring in professionals in the fraternity. Dr. Young, who is a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. We have the, the, the district attorney. We have a Supreme Court judge here. All of these uh, brothers give their time and talent mm-hmm. to come and talk to them about decisions that they make mm-hmm. and what the consequences are. Right. And when they see pictures being presented in the presentation, they say, yeah, if you do this, this is what will happen. Right. And they kind of scratch and say, oh my gracious, I better stop and think yeah. whether I'm going to make this decision mm-hmm. or not when I see what that consequence will be. And how do how do young people access this um, this program? This is part of the- Part uh, of our program where we- The Alphas. Do Alphas, the middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grades. Okay. It started over at Southside mm-hmm. uh, back in 1998. That was when I was chosen to be the coordinator. And so we got teachers to suggest young men in their grades of six, seven, or eight mm-hmm. who might benefit from this kind of program. We told them the kinds of things that we would emphasize for young men. Mm-hmm. And so they said, oh, well this guy, would be, this student would benefit from that. And so I, we got a list of students from all of those teachers mm-hmm. in the middle grades. Okay. And uh, we met twice a week, 7.30 in the morning before they went to class. And we designed an entire program for a whole year a school year mm-hmm. and they had to do assignments and write and, and organize a speech choir yes, sir. and they had to sing or they had to speak the way you 
sing in a choir. Okay. And we were invited to the Marine Base to perform. We were invited to the civil rights uh, programs to perform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so some of the parents, a couple of the white parents, put their children, their mm -hmm. sons, in this program. Wonderful. And so uh, that's how we got started. And then, of course, we have something called Project Alpha, and which is that weekend retreat. But the program that we have now that meets once a week on Thursdays from 6 to 7 downtown at our educational mm -hmm. complex. And so last night, we had a culminating banquet Wonderful. for these young men. Yay. And how they, many were involved this year? We had about 40 boys 40? involved. Amazing. And so they meet for that weekend, but they must write an essay on what I learned at the retreat. Mm -hmm. Those essays are judged by the uh, committee from the Fraternity Brothers, and they are awarded prizes, monetary prizes, yes. for first, second, and third place in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grades. And then we created other awards. When I was president, I created the Outstanding Achievement Award scholarship mm -hmm. for the best uh, person as observed during the uh, uh, weekend retreat. We have a Trailblazer Award. Uh, we have a I Dare You Award. Okay. I Dare You to Become Successful. Yes. I Dare You to yes. Do This, That, and yes. to yes. do that. So this was last night and it was wonderful. The parents have been so great in bringing the boys to the uh, uh, sessions East Thursday, mm -hmm. uh, and so they have just increased in their support of our efforts because they say, my son needs that. That's fantastic. So Where that's, is that center located downtown? Uh, it's at uh, uh, 527 uh, uh, Broad Street. It's right there on the corner of uh, Monroe Broad and, and Monroe. Broad. Yes, Broad and, Monroe. Yes. Well, and that, right across the street from it is a police uh, station right yeah right i think mm -hmm. i know that corner now right. i know that corner well that um again how do you squeeze so much into 24 <laughs> hours how do you do that well i think you pick and choose things that you want to embrace you want to see because sometimes our youngsters get a bad rap they, so many times so many times well come look at some of the youngsters that we are working with mm -hmm. that are out there now making contributions yes. to the world. Absolutely. I think of Daughter High School. Yes, where I graduated. You graduated from. Um, my wife taught there for 30 years. And I remember her. I look at the number of professional people who come from Daughter High School. That's right. Lawyers, doctors, dentists. Musicians, broadcasters. broadcasters. <laughs> I mean, the fella in California yeah. who is some kind of a studio executive teaching at UCLA came from Dorley High School. Wow. You know? Wow. Uh, Eddie Black, Marla Black, he's the director of the emergency center here at Phoebe Putney Hospital. Yes. Marla is my neurologist. Okay. She has her office out in Meredith Center. Yes, yes. And I could just call many, many more. Mm -hmm. Really. So that that is really um, a testament sure. to the power of community. And when people say things, I said, "Don't hide. Get that list. Get of that list together. Who have gone through and who are making contributions, not to the uh, state 
the country, but the world. Yes. And and whenever they make a comment, here it is. Yes, sir. Here it is. Yes. <laughs> here it is. And uh, speak truth to power. Yes. Speak speak truth to power and speak powerful truth. Powerful because truth. these are some powerful truths yes. about uh, that we can locate. Right mm -hmm. next door. Oh, yes. Indeed. Right next door. Yes, you know, our fascination with uh, celebrity and celebrity culture is um, a little bit sideways. You know, I mean, there's always going to be those people who, who stand on top of the world, you know, who have that kind of reach and so forth. And that's okay. But that's not necessary for all of no. us. No. They are out there. But they are not my role models. Yes. My father is my role model. Bless his soul, may he rest in peace. Yes, sir. He talked with me about life. When I used to make my money waiting tables at the country club in Charlottesville, and at the end of the summer, he said, now, be careful. Don't spend it all in one place. Uh -huh. And I knew what that meant. Yes. 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 But I would buy my own clothes and my books, and, and I had a job working all while I was in school. Mm -hmm. uh, and on the campus, uh, I read for a blind music major who took down his assignments in braille mm. that was my job for two years wow i waited tables my freshman year and so that, that patience uh oh, has man. just just been a thread a gold thread and when i said to the head waiter after i graduated from high school i said if i learn how to carry a tray will you teach me how to wait tables he says let me know and we'll talk about it i wrote him a letter in march and he said, when you graduate, when you finish school, come on, we'll talk about it. He took me in, taught me how to wait tables. And that was my job every summer until I graduated. Mm. Each year I made more money because I got better at it. Yes. And there were people who came from all over the world to that club. And there were 400 people always on the waiting list. Whoa. But there were people who saw that I was energetic and being a waiter and there was a man and his wife from chicago said we would like for you to come to chicago and let me teach you the museum business and when you finish you'll have a job wow i said how can you guarantee me that he says because i'm the owner and director <laughs> i got the same i got a similar invite from a couple from uh, uh connecticut mm -hmm. he said I would like for you to come and let me teach you the banking business. Wow. And I said, well, that's good, but what about the job? He said, well, I'm the owner of the bank and I can guarantee you a job once you finish the training. That's the power of excellence right there. So, I mean, the excellence, the drive. I got those offers all the time during my years of waiting tables at the Farmington Country Club. So that, I mean, so, so put that into uh, a model for our young people to, and, and our older people to be able to take that and be able to just, just absorb that information and have it, you know, just like right there. But if you think about that and you say, these people see something, some kind of intangible maybe, and if they feel that they would take a chance on you as a young person to do that, then think about your own philosophy of life and what you have chosen to do as your life's work. Music became my life's work at a very young age. And all of these other things that were thrown at me 
that I could have taken advantage of did not outweigh what God had put in me mm. as to what my contribution would be to life. Fantastic. Woo. That is fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. We could go on. I just have one or two more questions for you, but before that, I want to, you know, you have something that you want to say right now. Go ahead and say it. Well, I just want to thank you for what you do and for the invitation to come and sit and pour out aspects of my life and how it has unfolded because you are doing a work that has a worldwide impact. And when people see what comes out of Albany, Georgia, and Absolutely. I always say these small towns, some of the best talent, some the best. best people can come from small towns. That's I right. said I would never work in the South. Absolutely. Never say what you will never do. Right. I don't think I would have had this grand opportunity to be interviewed by a young lady that I remembered attended Albany State. Yes. Other members of your family and what you have created for yourself as what God has given you to do as a life's work. Thank you. And you are making other people, you're exposing other people to the world for what they have chosen to do. Absolutely. And so I am I'm excited and I'm overwhelmed. Thank you. Thank you. As as am I. And I just have um this one last question. This is something I ask a lot okay. of my guests. And that is uh if you had all power such that anything that you wanted to have happen would happen simply by your saying it. What change would you make in Albany family culture to improve our family culture here? That we would realize the times that we live in, we would realize some of the things that are happening as a result of a philosophy of people versus people. And if I could have that kind of power, I would bring the races together mm. and let them look at each other and judge each other for what they are, what he or she is, based on your worth and what you do and how I relate to you, yeah. rather than to look at you and say, hmm, the color of your skin does not allow me to want to relate to you. Mm. Mm. That, that, that's what I would do. That would be awesome. I really would. And so Albany would be a model city, mm. not for the nation, but for the world oh. to see how it's done. Wow. Wow. Yes. And, and uh, that was one other thing I wanted to say. Okay. <laughs> I remember that, you know, um, I was thinking that you have um, maybe an old soul, but a very, very youthful expression, forever young expression. As I've sat here and, and spoken with you, I've come to really think more that you are really a young soul through and through. 
So how does that resonate with you in either direction, whether it's the young soul in the with the youthful spirit or the forever young spirit that's also a young soul? Well, I think some folks have made comments, and I have a fraternity brother that says, you give retirement a bad name. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? It's because of what you do and how busy you stay. Right. And I have always thought of myself as being youthful in my thinking. Mm -hmm. And so when I was growing up, I always wanted to sing like Nat King Cole. Mm -hmm. And I still want to sing like Nat King Cole. And when I went on stage the freshman year of the talent show, I sang a Nat King Cole tune. It's called Somewhere Along the Way. Okay. And I have said as I meet people and we leave each other and we shake hands and I say, what a joy for you to come into my life. Mm -hmm. And I said, I know that we will meet somewhere along the way. Mm. And so I have that youthful spirit about me. And I don't think of my age because God has blessed me to reach this stage. Yes. I still think in a very youthful manner about life and how life is and how life should be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. That That is, I couldn't close it out better. The best is yet to come, and you certainly do communicate that by continuing to take life as an adventure and as an opportunity at every every day of your life, and that and that shows. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank. That is it today for our our edition of Blood and Spirit. That's what it's about. Y'all have a good day. Mm -hmm. oh. Well. That was absolutely amazing. Thank you. So, so I much. thank you so much.